0: Three tough decisions for IT leaders, lessons from complex digital transformations, and a comparison of Oracle Cloud versus Microsoft D365. Those are just a few of the topics we'll cover here in episode number 129 of Transformation Ground Control.
1: This is Transformation Ground Control, your source for all things business, technology, strategy,
0: and change. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of transformation. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host here today. I'm also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited for today's episode
0: likewise i'm i'm excited i always am but i know you always are too so it's nothing new really but uh, we're both excited as always for another great episode we're going to have some good topics we'll cover here today we're going to get into some audience questions as we always do in our opening segment we'll we'll take some questions from the audience that we've accumulated here in recent days and weeks over our social media outlets and then we're going to get into some hot topics too in particular that i think will be really interesting here this week one is uh The first one is three tough decisions for I.T. leaders, which will be a really interesting conversation. Uh, We'll also talk about five misconceptions about digital transformation uh, in those hot topics. And then later in the show, we are going to have our first guest, uh, Dean Sam, who is a director of the third stage consulting Asia Pacific office. He's based out of Hong Kong. He'll be joining us from Australia. Actually, he's he's traveling to clients here this week uh, in the Australia region. And he's going to be on the show talking about lessons from complex digital transformations. So we're going to hone in and and sort of focus on larger, uh, more complex digital transformations and what are some of the lessons from those larger, more complex digital transformations. And then finally, uh, Kyler and I will unpack and do a comparison of Oracle Cloud versus Microsoft Dynamics 365, which will be a really good conversation, even if you're not considering either or both of those systems. It's just a good way to understand what some of the nuances are. Things to think about as you compare different technologies in the marketplace that you might consider for your digital transformation. So, great show plan for you today. But before we jump into some of our hot topics and guests that we're going to bring onto the show, Kyler, what are some of these hot topics you've got for us? Or actually, sorry, not the hot topics, the questions. We're going to start with the questions, aren't we?
1: Well, I was going to say some of these are hot topics in the questions. Um, but if you haven't heard of our question jar here, um, I ask Eric all of your audience questions that you put on either our third stage, um, social media channels or his social media channels. You can use hashtag ask Eric and, um, I will ask him these live, um, throughout the week. So I've had this big old question in here for a little while. So I'm going to, we're going to tackle it. Okay. All right. So it's more of a comment, um, but I think it's it's definitely something that's worth discussing when it comes to consultants. Consultants can't change your business processes or your people. You can't rely on consultants to be successful. The company must commit their time and resources to people, process, and technology. So what's your reaction to that?
0: I, well, I totally agree, even though it's, it's, it may not be self-serving of me to admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I would certainly love to say that if you hire third stage or you hire us and our team to help with your digital transformation initiative, that you are guaranteed success. That is not true because uh, no consultant is going to guarantee success. All a consultant can do is help you be more successful, assuming that you have the internal commitment and focus and resources dedicated to the project. So I think it's absolutely critical to recognize that and and sort of have uh, maybe tempered expectations on what a consultant can do for you. Um, And when I say consultant too, by the way, I mean, you know, independent technology advisors like third stage, but I also mean, and I'm also referring to technology implementation consultants. So, you know, if you have a system integrator or a reseller or software vendor who's providing you the technical implementation services, you might lean heavily on those outside competencies that you don't have but you don't want to get so dependent on those outside competencies that you create this sort of learn helplessness along the way. And uh, it, it's very important that organizations recognize that they, they are the ones that have to own the results and the outcome of the digital transformation longer term. Your consultants are going to go away at some point. So it's ultimately your business and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're stuck with the, the outcome of your digital transformation for better or for worse. So I think that's a you know important balance that, a lot of organizations have have trouble finding
1: sure that internalization, um, especially after the transformation's over con- continuing to achieve that that third stage. so righty. yeah,
0: the last thing you want to do is just you know have have to have the consultants around. I mean exactly. as much as I love my clients and, and we love our clients at third stage, you don't want to be you don't want to overstay your welcome as a consultant and, and nor do you want to have your consultants overstay their welcome.
1: Absolutely. That knowledge transfer and empowering that internalization is definitely part of the process, part of what we teach. Um, So this one is from uh, your YouTube channel on um, how to become a consultant. So we have a lot of consultant based questions today. What would be some of some advice you have for a recent grad that wants to get into SAP S4 HANA specifically?
0: Um, Well, I think, first of all, SAP S4 HANA is is a good uh a good choice of technology to focus on uh it's you know there's going to be for years to come there's going to be a lot of s4 hana uh, implementations a lot of big companies that are going to be deploying uh, s4 hana um i guess my my advice would be to you know first and foremost you know get that get that business experience to augment the technology experience so assuming that you're going to get certified in, in sap and you're going to be a certified a functional or technical consultant in SAP or in S4 HANA in particular, I think there's a lot of value and also uh, deepening or sharpening your, your saw as it relates to uh, some of the business components of transformation too. So understanding the operational side of, of, uh, of, of a business um, or the change management or the project management, I think just finding a a business thread, a non-technical thread to augment your technical knowledge. I think that that can be a really powerful, uh, combination. you know, Certainly, again, you want to have the technical competency and the, the certification that you're going to presumably get or, or need to understand how S4HANA works. But it's also important to have that business understanding. And I would argue that that's even more important than the technical understanding. So anything you do to broaden your skill set and, and sort of give you some additional perspective and skill sets beyond the technology side is, is going to be super helpful in the, in the SAP space or any any sort of Technology, whether it's SAP or anything else for that matter, it's this, the same advice would hold true for other uh, types of technology focus as well.
1: Yeah, And if you're watching Eric's videos, you're in the right spot on the right track. So,
2: very, very good. Um, right, and
0: of course. Listen to this podcast, watch the YouTube videos. You'll you'll learn more hopefully, and, uh, the, and the, that's more advice to keep keep you on that track as well.
1: Absolutely. We also have our SAP S4 HANA um, guide playbook as well available for download in the links below. So that's a great kind of resource to to kind of look through. Okay, um, what is the value of having all the modules in an ERP package from one single vendor?
0: Well, I'll tell you sort of like in a perfect world what the value is, and then I'll tell you what the real value is. Um, so in a perfect world, in theory, the value of having all of your modules from one vendor is that you have a fully integrated system that is seamless Uh, it's got a consistent user interface a consistent user experience data is integrated business processes and workflows are all integrated throughout this one system Um, however the reality is that even the the bigger software vendors like sap like oracle like microsoft even though they have all these different modules that they offer as part of one single product suite, oftentimes it's, it's more like a best of breed. It's, it's almost like you have third-party bolt-ons to a core ERP system. It just so happens that one vendor owns those third-party bolt-ons. So just to give you an example, because we were just talking about SAP in the previous question um, I'll use them as an example. When you look at SAP S4 HANA, a lot of times companies don't just buy S4 HANA and all the modules that go with that. They'll buy integrated business planning, the IBP module. They'll buy success factors for HCM. They'll buy concur for time and expense reporting. Um, they'll buy Ariba for procurement. So these are these are third-party systems that SAP has acquired, and they're starting to integrate with the core S4 HANA product. But for all practical purchases, it's, it's like a best of breed. It's like you're deploying multiple systems, and they are multiple systems. So... I'd say the the first answer, the first part of my answer, the the sort of in theory, the way things sound on paper, is that having one single ERP system provides that integration and that seamless experience, et cetera. But the reality is, is that these ERP vendors are out acquiring other software vendors, and they're trying to figure out ways to to create a more seamless experience. But that's why I think best of breed is is not such a bad thing because the reality is even. The single erp vendors are providing a a best of breed experience and uh, oftentimes you can find other third-party systems that might be able to handle some of those capabilities better but i think what happens is a lot of times organizations either don't know that they're really getting themselves into a non-fully integrated single erp system um, or they they're afraid to explore what their options are and they it's just the path of least resistance to just hire one software vendor and assume that one software vendor can handle all of your needs. And that's what the software vendors want too. Obviously, they, they want to sell you as much software as they can. So I think you just have to be able to see through that and take it all with a grain of salt.
1: Definitely. That professional skepticism that we always talk about is important when it comes to evaluating what what that looks like and what is the, the best approach for your business. But um, all good stuff. You can definitely pop your comments um, or questions for Eric in wherever you're viewing today or on any of his social media channels using Ask Eric, hashtag Ask Eric. And um, I will ask him those questions live. But thank you for your insight. And thank you to the audience for your great questions.
0: Yeah, thank you. I love love answering those questions. They're a lot of fun. And, and you do not share those questions with me in advance, which makes nope. it even more fun.
1: Shock and, uh, and awe. Especially That's for my you. my approach. Most- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: Well, good. Well, thank you for those those audience questions and, and look forward to the future Ask Eric uh, questions you might have for us. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to shift gears and we're going to dive into a couple hot topics here after we take that break. We're going to get into three tough decisions for IT leaders, as well as five misconceptions about digital transformation. And then later in the show, after we get through those hot topics, we'll bring on Dean Sam from the Third Stage Consulting Asia Pacific team. He's based out of Hong Kong, joining us from Australia actually today. Uh, He'll be on talking about lessons from complex digital transformations. And then finally, last but not least, later in the show, Kyler and I will do a a comparison of Oracle ERP Cloud versus Microsoft D365. So a lot more to cover in this episode of Transformation Ground Control. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
3: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world, including... Amazon, Apple, and Google podcasts, among others. So be sure to subscribe if you don't already, and check us out there. Um, so you've got a couple of hot topics here for us today, uh, Kyler. That sound particularly interesting. They always are interesting the the hot topics you bring onto the show. But these two in particular sound very interesting. What what do you have for us here?
1: Yeah. So um, the first article we're going to talk about is actually from CIO Magazine, and it's a really interesting profile of real life CIOs and tough decisions they've had to make. So they they bucket all of the interviews into three decisions. Um, And so I I wanna kind of unpack a few of them with you. So the first um, decision is reducing technical debt, and mostly that's getting those legacy systems audited, cleaned up, all of those types of different things to move to a new system. Um, The second one is the one I kind of wanna unpack with you because this is one I've never heard before and it's restricting access. So what this looks like is when a CIO has to go to a department heads that have access to a certain user base in the legacy system. And with the new system, they won't have the same access just to kind of streamline that from a cybersecurity standpoint, and then just also from an efficiency and approval process standpoint. And that can be really hard to go to specifically senior leadership and say, you know, this won't be the same level of access that you're used to having. So that was one piece that I've never heard before. So I wanted to kind of get your reaction to changing those user profiles specifically when it comes to what access you have as far as department heads and other senior leaderships that CIOs have to kind of go and say, you know, this isn't going to be something that's going to be best for the business. We need to kind of future-proof what this looks like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's very interesting. That's a uh, super interesting, and the whole idea of future proofing and, and thinking beyond what the, the immediate needs are uh, is certainly important. You want to you want to think about how how we can create a uh, an environment where we're not going to be obsolete again in three or five years. Uh, having said that, though, I think there's a there's a fine line you've got to walk there in terms of being careful not to try to bite off more than you can chew, all in the name of future proofing the organization. Uh, a lot of times organizations will will just try to jump in too aggressively into new technologies or emerging technologies that they're not ready for when they can't even handle the more basic fundamental technology. So I think there's a fine line there that a lot of organizations struggle with where they fall on the on the spectrum of things, but I think that's an important uh, important point to note.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and mapping all of that out beforehand. Um, you know, and knowing that it it could essentially transform or evolve to with the experience, with the new system, what the needs will look like. So um, it's definitely an interesting one. The third one is transforming roles. And I wanted to kind of tell you about the case study that this specific CIO outlined. Um, and he said, during a digital transformation, it was decided that India in the APAC IT hub would lead one of would lead the digital transformation. And he said it was one of the toughest decisions of his career to move all those digital initiatives um, and SAP services, commercial application, IT security, infrastructure, all of those different things. And it was led by Team India Um, and that ruffled a lot of of feathers within the organization. But by shifting it to India, the digital transformation costs came down almost 50 percent. So it made it more efficient and cost effective so they could purchase and invest in more technology. Uh, so it this crucial decision by IT leaders has to align kind of seamlessly with business objectives, even if it means making tough or unpopular decisions. Uh, so kind of wanted to share that overall scenario with you and kind of see what your thoughts were on that.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, you hit a, an important point, which is the, the tough decisions that need to be made. I mean, anytime you're, you're defining a future state and, and looking to the future of what your digital strategy is and what the digital transformation is going to look like and what your future operating model is going to look like, there are tough decisions that need to be made there. And a lot of times organizations and executive teams aren't ready for that, or they don't realize that if this isn't just a technology project. There's, there's a lot of business key business decisions that need to be made there as well.
1: Yeah. It kind of made me think um, back to our digital stratosphere in our AMIA. Um, conference with our CIO panel, and one of their their pieces of advice to people that want to be CIOs is to remember that it's one of the loneliest positions in the organization because you do have to make incredibly tough decisions with new and emerging technology. So I thought that was interesting. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. It was one of my my favorite panels to moderate within my career. It's on our YouTube channel um, as well, so you can search CIO on our YouTube channel and find that panel. But thought that was a really interesting piece to kind of look at what are those tough decisions that they have to make.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a good panel too, by the way. uh, I I agree with you. That that panel discussion is a really good one.
1: Okay. Well, let's move into the five biggest misconceptions about digital transformation. So I kind of want to read these to you and get your reaction and then dig into a few just like we did with the other article. Um, So the first misconception is you do it, then it's done um the second misconception is it's all about technology the third misconception and i kind of want to dig into this one with you a little bit because it's not something we we talk about a ton but we have touched on it um digital transformation is only for big business and this profile says you know that simply isn't true many small to medium-sized business Can be missing out on technologies because they believe technology is too expensive, or digital transformation are too time intensive. They don't have the ability to do that as a small to mid size organization. So, what what would you say to that?
0: Well, I agree with that. I think it it's not. I agree with the counterpoint that it is not just about uh, big business. I think if you think about it, a small, a smaller or a midsize organization is more ripe for digital transformation, partially because they are typically more able to consume technology and change than a than a big, larger, more mature organization. So, if you're a younger, less mature, and smaller organization, you're probably going to have not an easy time, but an easier time deploying new technologies, and it's going to be a lot easier to start deploying technology now versus trying to wait until you're a lot bigger, in which at which point it's going to just be more resistance and more baggage and more um, people that are set in their ways and operations that are already baked into the, the DNA of the company. So if you can get ahead of that curve and deploy technology and start using technology at a younger age as an organization or at a smaller point in your growth cycle, uh, it's actually longer term going to be more more effective. and. The other thing, too, is that there's so many technologies out there now that are cost effective for small and mid-sized organizations. I'd say maybe 30 years ago, what you what you said is true might have been true, which is that smaller organizations weren't really cut out for digital transformation, say, 30 years ago. But now there's just so many good cost effective technologies out there that are right sized for smaller organizations that um, you're missing out if you're not looking at ways to automate your business.
1: Yeah, and the you know the the partner support, those tier 2 SIs and all of those different kind of smaller um implementation partners, those exist now um in niche areas. So that's one of the pieces that sometimes it's better to be um a big fish in a small pond, if you will.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. That's a, that's a great point too. It's the the implementation ecosystem is more friendly to small and mid-sized companies compared to uh, back in the day.
1: And if you are a small to mid-sized business or SMB, as we call them a lot of times, on our YouTube channel, we have an entire playlist on what that looks like as far as software selection, implementation, um, even family-owned businesses. We actually have a specialist or a specialty team here that actually looks at those SMBs. If you have more questions about that, head on over to that channel. Um, So the fourth one is you have to follow all of the latest technology trends. And I think this is interesting how they put this timeline out there. So a couple of years back, everyone was talking about blockchain. Last year, the hottest buzzword was metaverse. And as far as 2023, it's undoubtedly been the year of the AI and generative AI tools, predominantly chat GPT. Um, so if you were to go back and implement each one of these technologies, you probably have a mess of a technology stack now as an enterprise business and i think that's so interesting and the importance of understanding that new technologies and trends aren't always the best way to achieve your business or technical objectives so what's your thoughts on that
0: yeah i agree i uh, you mentioned uh metaverse i think that's a that's a great example of one that you know hasn't really gained the traction that i i thought it would have um i would have thought by now we'd we'd see more of a you know, a closer, uh, a closer alignment with mainstream reality. It hasn't really gotten there despite, you know, the big investments from the company Meta and Mark Zuckerberg's former Facebook company. Um, it just doesn't seem to be gaining that, that sort of traction in, in mainstream business world. So using that as an example, if you had doubled down and gone all in on that emerging tech, you might've, you might've, uh, you know, wasted a lot of money there. And some organizations may have already wasted a lot of money there it may still become, you know, mainstream adopted in the future but it's just not there yet. Um, so I think that's a that's a good reminder of like just all the noise in the technology space. It is just constantly going to be changing, the backdrop's going to be shifting, industry analysts are going to be coming up with new buzzwords and new big things that you can certainly educate yourself on and be aware of, but you don't want to jump too quickly to embrace these technologies unless it's just a really good fit for you. And I think that's the key is to recognize who you are as an organization, what you're trying to accomplish, and then figure out which technology or technologies best fit that model going forward, regardless of whether or not it's the next big thing or the next big sexy technology or not. It's just a matter of finding the, the technology roadmap that's the best for you.
1: Most definitely. And number five on this list is um, replacing humans with technology, which I know we talk a lot about. Um, there may be changes in those roles and, and responsibilities, but there's always going to need to be some sort of human inter- intervention. And, um, those automations hopefully can be seen as opportunities to get rid of those manual tasks. So if you were to pick a number six misconception about digital transformation that wasn't on this list, what would it be?
0: Um, that's a great question. Those are really good ones. I mean, the five you mentioned are, are really good. Um, I'd say maybe a sixth one would be misconception would be that you can outsource your digital transformation. So, in other words, uh, you can hire a big system integrator or a big consulting firm and they will come in and handle the entire transformation for you. Um, that's a misconception that uh, isn't true, especially in the long term. Organizations need to look at how they can better have ownership and better manage the project and manage the system integrator and the consultants rather than consultants managing them. So I think that's, that'd be a, a close six that I might add to the list.
1: Well, great. Well, I, I want to turn the audience for a minute. If you were had to pick a six or maybe number seven at this point, uh, misconceptions about digital transformation, if you pop that in the comments, um, we'd be excited to kind of look at those um, next episode. So uh, but definitely a good list, a solid list for sure, and and important to kind of remember and go through that that skill set planning when looking at going through any sort of technology implementation.
0: Yeah, agreed. Those are those are really good ones. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, we're gonna keep going with that thread of, of misconceptions and uh, IT leadership lessons and that sort of thing. Uh, when we bring on our next guest, we're gonna have Dean Sam on the show coming up next. He is a director at Third Stage Consulting Asia-Pacific. He helps our clients in the Asia-Pacific region through their their digital transformations. And he's going to be on talking about lessons from complex digital transformations. And uh, in that conversation, we will inevitably get to some misconceptions uh, around the digital transformation space as well. And then later in the show, after Dean is on, we will also uh, have Kyler and I doing a comparison of Oracle ERP Cloud versus Microsoft Dynamics 365. So be sure to stick around for that. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control.
1: Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control episode number 129. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham from Third Stage Consulting Group. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. I'm excited for our next guest, uh, Dean Sam, who is part of our Third Stage Consulting Asia Pacific team. He's based out of Hong Kong, joining us here from Australia here today while he's traveling, uh, as I might, by the way, I'm also traveling not in Australia, but I am traveling, Uh, hence the uh, unusual background and uh, lack of professional audio uh, here today. Uh, but Dean's going to be on talking about lessons from complex digital transformations. He's worked with a lot of different organizations throughout the world, a lot of companies of varying sizes and complexity and industries and geographies and whatnot. So I thought it'd be good to do a flyover view of what are some of those lessons from some of these more complex
2: organizations that he's worked with over the years. So all that being said, Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Nice to be here. It's been a while. I haven't done one of these live streams. I think the last one was, uh, over a year ago
0: so it thanks has. for inviting me <laughs> absolutely it's been it's been too long since you've been on so it's good to have you back on and i especially appreciate you being on here today at the time we're we're filming this discussion here uh, it is i'm on the east coast of the united states and you're in australia so our time differences here cannot be much different so i appreciate you being up in the middle of the night your time to have this conversation so thank you for that you're welcome so so just to get started, I, I guess it's uh, you, have, you have a really interesting background and, and upbringing in the digital transformation space. Maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, tell us about who you are and how you, how you, uh, you know, what do you do? And, and we'll get <laughs> into some of the, how you got started in this world of digital transformation here in a, here in a minute, but maybe just tell us about yourself to get started.
2: Um, yeah. So how, how should I start? So, well, I'm, I'm originally from, from Canada. Um, that's where I grew up. I, I, I graduated uh, from, from university there, and I decided to, uh, uh, right after graduation, I decided to, to move to Asia, basically. And uh, I, went to, I went to China because I wanted to, to learn, learn Mandarin. I couldn't speak Mandarin before that. And um, you know, because you know at the time China, or it still is, but at the time China was was booming economically, and, and thinking maybe that would that's the the new gold rush, basically, uh, in in the world, and and a lot of young professionals were were flooding uh, there and 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 hoping to uh, to start their career. So so I, so I went there with, without any expectations. I, sh- I first wanted to learn the language. And then I got into, uh, and then I built, started my career. I, I, I enjoyed China, I enjoyed Asia, what what it had to offer, um, and um, so I have a a, a degree in, in in engineering, mostly, joint engineer, and and um, so I, I, I worked in consulting. I also worked in on the operational side, uh, on the, in the manufacturing industry. Um, and while working in the manufacturing industry, I I've led a few uh, ERP implementations in the organ in organization that was in, and notably, I I led the ERP implementation in in Bangladesh. So I actually uh, lived and, and, and worked in Bangladesh for for seven years for several organizations, and um, Bangladesh being a developing country. Um, uh, that's where I, I, I got my my feet wet in, in digital transformation and most notably in ERP implementations and I basically I I, I had to uh, wear many many hats uh, being in Bangladesh whether it was a project program manager a project sponsor uh, a business analyst uh, whatsoever so I've I've gone through the whole uh, I would say uh, digital enablement uh, methodology in organization by building a strategy, by, by f- evaluating and selecting the, uh, the right solution, negotiating with, with, with the vendors, preparing the organization, doing the change management, setting up the right processes, setting up the right people in, 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 in the right roles in order to make uh, technology work. for for those companies uh implementing it doing the go live uh and 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 so forth and and uh, to be honest i didn't have much support from like you know seniors to to tell me what to do or to guide me i had to learn uh, on the on the spot and on my on um, on my own really yeah on the job training and 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 that's how i got to meet you really uh eric uh and 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 learning about you know your 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 lessons learned, go, uh, listening to your pod, to your own podcasts. So it's it's quite, quite surreal that uh, I'm I'm actually one of your guests now, uh, uh, many years later, and uh, yeah, and your YouTube clips and so forth, and that and that gave me a few uh, a number of pointers in, in certain areas of of the digital transformation journey, and that helped me uh, actually be successful. Uh, in in implementing those systems and, um, you know, not to brag or anything, but it's just, I've, we've implemented several systems, whether it's a big one, like an ERP or smaller bolt-on solutions and, and those systems worked at the end of the day. And so I've built sort of my, I guess, my methodology, my, my, my own, my own process in, 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 getting these uh, systems implemented and, And, and now I'm, I'm, I'm part of the third stage family and, and trying to, to adopt, uh, uh, those, you know, that my experience in, in other organizations.
0: Right. Yeah. It's interesting background. I mean, you, you've got, um, certainly the multinational component covered well, you know, Canada, Hong Kong, China, Bangladesh, you're in Australia visiting one of our clients right now. You mentioned before we, we went live. So you, you definitely have that global footprint or that global experience base that, that uh, is so rich with, with uh, experience and lessons learned. So look forward to chatting through some of those lessons. And, and just to, speaking of international, looking to our audience and where everyone's joining from today, just a few examples of where else in the world others are joining from. Uh, we have Dennis from uh, Coach in India, Ryan from Denver, Colorado, um, Dan from Naples, Florida, Megan from South Carolina, uh, prob from Austin, Steve from Los Angeles, Wendy from Mexico, um, someone from Rostock, Germany, uh, someone from Biden UK. So, um, or, or Biden is from the UK, I should say his name is Biden and, uh, he's joining us from the UK. So a lot of, a lot of global representation in terms of just a few examples there of where, where people are joining from. So, so thank you for being here. Um, so you, you started to allude to this a little bit, um, uh, Dean, you know, you talked about your journey, you know, starting off, you know, younger, earlier in life in Canada, and then and then moving over to to Asia and 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 uh, having different experiences throughout Asia. Um, what? How did you? How did you get? In, how did you start to get involved in digital transformations? It it sounds like maybe it was unplanned. It wasn't part of your master plan. Was to become a digital transformation consultant, or or was it? Or how did you end up falling into this?
2: Well, first thing is, I I feel I have a it's a skill uh you know if some people are good at are are better at at some on at some tasks or some some activity than others one area that i thought i i sort of excelled at is organizing information <laughs> basically right. uh and and uh actually it started with my first experience uh my first uh company where i worked in it was a consulting firm it was actually a a procurement service provider back in, in, in Shanghai. And, um, and the, the partners uh, of that, of that company, they were, they were seasoned consultants and you know, they were, they were ex-consultants from Accenture and, 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 and Bain and Booz Allen and so forth. And then they started the, this consulting firm. And I started out as a, as just, as just an intern and then became an analyst and, and so forth. And so they had different, um, they had a clear process in terms of how they roll out uh, their their methodology and, and and their offerings, and they had uh, a lot of tools right to 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 support to support uh, those uh, those offerings. And uh, after a couple of years on the job, I I went through the whole end-to-end process of what the company offers, and then I started organizing their 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 all their tools, standardizing, uh, you know, uh, you know whatever. It, whatever it might be their their Excel tools or their uh, their emails, their their, their PowerPoint uh, uh, reports and so forth. And then I built and then I, I embedded those into their process. So it was a clear cut kind of uh, way of doing things and it was very much standardized and that was applied to all their inter- uh, all their offices uh, globally. And that was, Fifteen years ago, and I could say they're still following exactly the, that same that same standardized process and those standardized tools. So it's not related to actual implementing an actual technology, but it's just the fact of org the ability to organize information in 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 an efficient way, so others can can uh, can can use it, right? Can profit from it? Can and 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 it makes their uh, their way of working much 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 simpler so th- so so that was a six that was a first successful step i said all right so it looks like uh you know i'm good in, in putting information together and then i moved into more in the manufacturing and operational role and i, I implemented uh, uh an erp jd edwards in 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 um, in a factory in bangladesh and yeah and and same kind of mindset i was able to 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 design, you can say, uh, the right information structure uh, in order to link, you know, demand to uh, material planning, to production planning, uh, to production execution, and all the way do- uh, up to, you know, uh, inventory and 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 and, and shipping. Um, so, so that was uh, so that was a, a second, I guess. A, 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 Second uh, experience that was uh, that was fruitful and 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 got me into a role of a uh, head of uh, ERP implementation um, for another organization. And in that organization, the key thing was what I learned about, especially in the ERP space, because that's more my uh, my my experience lies in there. Is by Achieving better planning for for, for different organizations, and um, what what we see in our in in many of our clients, the type of planning they do is very reactive and short term, right? Um, and and but but if you want to implement a, 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 a you know a robust technology, you need to have a longer uh, view of, of 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 your business. So you need to have a longer uh, a planning horizon, and so setting up whether it's you know you have a, a two-week planning horizon, but you have to have then you have to move up to a, a monthly and a quarterly, and the uh, and and the yearly planning, and that can be achieved through the, through that new technology, but that requires a change in in how the company thinks and how the company uses information uh, mm-hmm. in order to plan on a longer term basis. Right, right,
0: and you know, in your description of your background, and that's really interesting, by the way, of how you sort of, how you ended up in this, in this uh, industry and in this role. I've yet to meet anyone that had a plan from childhood. You know, they, they knew when they were a kid that they wanted to be a, a digital transformation or an ERP consultant. I've yet to meet uh, anyone that had, had that part of their master plan. It seems like we all sort of had detours and sort of fell into the, into the space based on opportunity and, and growth. Um, but you've worked with a lot of different, um, a lot of different organizations ranging in size from small to mid-sized companies to large multinational organizations, um, you know, both as a consultant, but also earlier in your career, before you became a consultant, you were working for some larger organizations. Uh, when you think about larger or more complex organizations, whether it's complex because it's multinational or complex because of its size or because of the scope of what the business does, um, what are some of the, the biggest lessons that you've learned over the years as it relates to managing change and managing transformation in these more complex organizations? What are, what are some of the nuances that you've learned over the years?
2: Um, well, I, I'm basing myself on, on the experience that I've gotten and, and, and what I see works. Uh, when we're talking about global multinational organizations with, with offices around the globe or uh, manufacturing sites ac- across the globe, I think one key foundational piece is to have more of a centralized control of your uh, digital uh, digital team, right? Uh, instead of having too much of a decentralized kind of uh, IT or or ERP teams across uh, across different sites, it, it needs to be it needs to be centralized. I I I believe so. So one of the Companies that I worked in, they had the, uh, a large business analyst, uh, ERP business analyst team in in their head office. And whether they would uh, roll out the, uh, a system uh, in another in another site in another country, or is it uh, because of a of, a, of a mergers and acquisition activity? So they have to they have to roll out their system in that in that other entity. It always. Was done from a, a centralized uh, ERP uh, ERP team because, uh, and then from there, when you have that, then your master data is also run by a centralized group, right? So uh, consistency of data, um, uh, the data sets that are that are that are being uh, deployed. Uh, the attributes that are be deployed, the data structures are all consistent across across the, the global company. And thirdly, once you have consistent data, you can have consistent uh, planning processes running running through it. So uh, you can have, let's say, the uh, the mother the 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 mother office or the central office, the central planning office can run SNOP at a global level, right? And then you could have regional planning office that would take that SNOP output and then uh, drive the the master production scheduling. And then you had more on the site level that could drive MRP and shop floor control. Um, And then the regional, you can either do it at the site Uh, You, uh, I mean, uh, distribution planning. You could either do it at the site or at the regional level, depending on what you'd like to do. So, so looking at those planning levels, you could achieve those planning levels even for complex and global organizations if your data uh, system basically is is uh, is being uh, there's some oversight. uh, No, there's oversight from from a central point of view.
0: We're here with Dean Sam from Third Stage Consulting's Asia Pacific office talking about lessons from complex digital transformations. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back. We're gonna take a quick break.
1: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kylo Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on linkedin youtube facebook and twitter as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world we're here in the midst of a conversation with dean sam from the third stage consulting asia pacific office talking about some lessons from complex digital transformations let's jump back into the conversation it's interesting hearing you say that i agree with everything you just said i think that centralization and and having that consistency of processes and um focus on data management things like that everything you just described is, is very important especially for larger more complex multinational organizations. However, it it also runs counter to some of the conventional wisdom or, or some of the emerging thinking in the market, which is we should do more agile sorts of implementations. We should be more decentralized. We should have flat organizations, and you know, so there's some sort of business trends or uh, movements the opposite direction of what you're you're describing. How do you how do you reconcile that? I mean, do you see that sort of a conflict? between conventional thinking or, or emerging thinking and how things should be versus the way things actually
2: work and are most effective or what are your thoughts? Uh, my, I, I sort of, uh, how can I say put aside that kind of, uh, those, those buzzwords in terms of how to deploy technology, like, like agile or, or lean or, uh, or, or whatnot. Uh, You know what? I just first is set up your design. (laughs) And your design needs to be clear end to end. And it's not about just having a an overall to be process design, but it's looking at the actual data sets that sit under those processes, sit under those activities, making sure your data set is standardized, is robust, meaning it's robust, it can meet all the all the possible business scenarios that your company has to go through whether it's uh, selling an item uh, the different type of sales uh, scenarios that can go through whether uh, the different uh, making sure it goes through the, the let's say the the, the 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 supply chain so so uh so all the scenarios so you have to cover all of that and that has to be put on paper first uh, and you have to cover the whole, the whole gamut of, of, of business scenarios and making sure your data structure can support that. And if it cannot support that, then you revise your data structure. You have to add uh, you know, a, a field because you, you have to meet a certain scenario. So that's how you have to build it. And uh, from my experience, if you don't do that, that readiness, right, uh, you're not going to get the full functionality of the system Because if you don't know, if you don't, if you didn't lay out all the, all the scenarios and the data sets that support it, then you cannot connect the dots in terms of how you can build automation through the solution. Because you don't have, your data set isn't robust enough to do so.
0: Right. Yeah, that's well said. And I think you use the word setting aside buzzwords and trends. I think that's a really important point because you know there's there's certain trends and buzzwords that may apply to you as an organization and there's many that won't and so you have to really see past that and your business and what you're trying to accomplish
2: I, I look at the 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 agile kind of uh way of doing things that could work if you're if you're developing apps right uh right. you know you 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 you're developing certain programs but In our case, we're not developing programs for the sake of of ease of messaging or or shopping or or, or whatever. It's actually we have to run an organization. So you have to know your organization's requirements uh, before. So you can't really go agile unless you have defined all your organization's requirements. Uh, Or else uh, uh, what can happen is actually the new system that's coming in might be even worse than the... Than the system that the that the organization currently has, <laughs> and then, right? And and therefore, you where's your value after that? So, uh, yeah, the agile, I'm not I'm not a big fan. <laughs>
0: uh, you and I share that uh, common uh, <laughs> that commonality for sure, among other things. Uh, but I'd be curious to hear from the audience: What do you think of agile, especially in complex uh, multinational, complex organizations? Do you think agile has a role? Do you think it's a, is it overrated? Is it something that has practical use? I'd love to hear the audience's comments here too, as as we're chatting through it. And that's usually a a, uh, a controversial topic. So I like to ask it whenever we can. So love to hear the audience's thoughts here too. And so, so another thing that you and I share, um, in addition to our skepticism of agile, Dean, is that there's also, we also have a, I'd say we both have a shared skepticism for general tech trends and, you know general you mentioned buzzwords but just talking about technical trends and and tell me a little bit about your thoughts of um, trends in the marketplace in terms of technology trends and and sort of how it fits into the realities of what organizations should be doing in their digital transformation
2: well in order to uh to become more optimal in how to uh, plan and 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 manage a business um, I don't think adding new trendy technology is the is 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 the way to go uh it's about in order to for for technology to to work because technology is only good if it works right so you have to look internally in the organization where is the organization at in terms of their digital mindset uh uh, and is that in, is that digital mindset available across across um, across the the company top down, right? And and I what I focus on is is enabling that digital mindset uh, in the organization. So so uh, can companies or anyone in the, or key people in the organization can they take a a process that the company is, is currently uh, you know uh, using or 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 uh, you know it's part of their if part of their working process. Can they translate that on pen and paper in terms of data structure and data flow? If the majority, if the company can achieve that. Then we're able to implement new technologies first of all because if it doesn't work on pen and paper uh, and 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 it's not uh robust enough and it doesn't meet the end-to-end process then you have a problem because it won't work it won't work when you when you're when you're implementing a solution or uh uh, yeah a a program um so and and when we're talking about agile and, and all that earlier how i how I approach implementing a solution is really—it's like I, I take an engineering point of view. It's like building a bridge, right? You're not gonna—you're not gonna go on and and agilely build a bridge, right? You gotta—you gotta build your blueprint. You gotta make sure your blueprint meets all the all the environmental conditions. You have to—you have to do uh, force testing across every 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 part of the bridge, make sure it can support uh, the load. that 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 that, that's required and to do that you got to do that on pen and paper first uh and 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 get agreement across the organization that that's the best way to go and and that's uh and that's part of the readiness piece that we often do with our with our clients before they actually uh invite or ask the solution integrator to come in and and start uh, rolling out the solution
0: yeah yeah absolutely and it, you look at, you know, you mentioned, for example, that you, you've, you've been implementing technology for a long time. You talked about J.D. Edwards and, you know, you've seen the evolution of technology over the years and, and some of the changes in technology. And I think that, you know, it's interesting is how, how fast technology changes and how much uh, growth has happened in the technology space. But at the same time, organizations and their ability to change hasn't really kept up. So, in other yeah. words... You have a company if you're a company that you have enough trouble just implementing a basic gl system or a basic inventory management system it's not going to do you any good to now try to pile on a bunch of other new technologies on top of that when you can't even get the basic fundamentals implemented well
2: um, yeah so
0: it's, it's sort of like you have to learn to walk before you run with, with a lot of these tech trends
2: yeah it's like uh, it's like playing any other sp- any sport right uh let's take uh tennis for example uh, the the new system or the new technology could be a new racket, right? Or mm-hmm. another, uh, another bolt on that you like to add or another add on. Those are, those are your, your tennis shoes. But if the player isn't ready to, for the match and he's, he's not, uh, he's not in good shape. His, his, um, his footwork is weak. His technique is weak. His serve is weak, you know, uh, um, What's the point? <laughs> What's right. the point in, in, in buying in buying all, all all that equipment if you can't use it? And that's 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 really the analogy that I have with, with technology and organization is is focus on the player, right? Focus on the player. Is are, are, are you do you have the right fitness level? Do you have the right technique? Do you have do you have the right mentality to play a to play a, a tennis match and and to go through the grind and all that? Uh, we focus on that and then once the player is is strong enough, regardless of what technology you choose, the player will adapt to it right right yeah, I mean, great, great analogy if if I buy if I buy racket brand a or racket brand B but I you know i'm I'm a solid tennis player I'll still do well on the tennis court
0: right no that's a that's a great point and, you know the focus becomes on becoming a great tennis player versus you know, which racket am I going to use or which ball do I prefer? And that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's, the, here's an interesting question from um, Irina on um, YouTube. And the question that Irina has is how do you build teams for a new ERP implementation? So you, you've been involved with a lot of our clients and helping them do this and helping them through the implementations. But how do you, what advice do you give to an organization that's trying to build their internal digital mindset, as you mentioned before, but also, you know, what is the, how do they structure that team or what are some tips to, to structure that team to, to help them through the transformation?
2: Um, if I have to choose one role that I feel it's critical in order for organizations to really take ownership and to, uh, uh, how to say to be in control of their of their digital transformation journey is the role of a business analyst, internal mm-hmm. business analyst, not outside business analysts like consultants coming in, but organizations, uh, business analysts who, number one, um, they need to understand um, business management uh, best practices, right? Because best practices is it, for me it's it's a good starting point because already that sets the right foundation in terms of what information you require in order to run a process or how information should be structured. Uh, Take for example, like in a manufacturing organization, we talk a lot about bill of materials, MRP, uh, inventory. So that's to achieve MRP. So those best practices of having uh, proper inventory control and and, and, um, adequate bill of materials, those are certain best practices that needs to that, that, that uh, the business analyst should, should know about first of all and then the business analysts should have a should be able to design really uh, new processes right um, uh, improve to uh, be processes and also design uh, um, data structures improve your data structure to meet those business process uh, to meet those those different business processes. So uh, because they're the ones uh, who, who are the ones who are going to connect between, let's say, your system integrator and the organization. And because during the implementation, you don't you want to, of course, uh, you know, the, the employees in the organizations, they will be involved. They'll have key roles as super users or, or process leads and whatnot. Uh, but you don't want to take too much of their time. Let the business analysts take the load in the implementation to be the facilitator between between uh, the business members and 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 the consultants. Um, and that, and the business analysts will be the ones during implementation who would who would develop the uh, the processes. So you so you're not wasting uh, so you're not spending too much money for the SIs to do that. Number one. Number two is uh, for all the data cleansing uh the testing uh and, and and then troubleshooting you have those you have that layer of business analysts to uh to support the business team
0: right we're here with dean sam from third stage consulting's asia pacific office talking about lessons from complex digital transformations we've got a lot more to cover we'll be right back we're going to take a quick break
1: Just tell me what you've-
0: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls
2: and risks.
0: Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here in the midst of a conversation with Dean Sam from the Third Stage Consulting Asia Pacific office, talking about some lessons from complex digital transformations. Let's jump back into the conversation. Good way to think about building these competencies internally you know you, you certainly want to leverage outside consulting help and that outside experience that you don't have but you also don't want to be so dependent on outside consultants that you sort of create that learned helplessness you want to be able to start to build that competency in house that you can
2: own this longer term right and 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 one and they will get the 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 full on uh, knowledge transfer from the SIs on on the actual uh, back end of, of 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 the solution. So if 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 we want to improve certain configurations that that's required in the system, or actually build certain customization because uh, uh, you know for certain areas, or to to build APIs and connect other other solutions, they will have that they have that knowledge to do so. So you don't need to always ask for outside consultants to do that work. So you've you've built that, that internal capable team to support the business moving, uh, moving forward. Right.
0: Yeah. Makes total sense. Um, here's an interesting comment from Megan on LinkedIn. Megan says, as a new digital transformation consultant, these analogies and examples are so helpful. So I'm glad, um, this, this is helping you, Megan, and hopefully it's helping other, other people uh, listening in as well. Um, Here's an interesting question from uh, Ryan on LinkedIn. I'll see if I can show the entire comment It'll hide our faces for a moment, but we can see it here. Uh, Ryan says, how do you resolve issues where the executive team is forcing a system that may not be the right fit for a company, especially when the rest of the company sees the issues and voices their concern ahead of time? And maybe I'll broaden that question a little bit to say, you know, what are some tips you would have for companies to overcome resistance to change in general whether it's because they don't like the new system that's being deployed or maybe there's just certain parts of it they don't like or challenges they see in the changes that are going to be driven through the organization how do you how do you deal with that or what is, what are some advice you give?
2: well when we talk about the executive team we need to uh, often we shouldn't you, we shouldn't focus too much. We should articulate this this technology problem in in a way that, you know, the, the, the executive team, the general public can can understand. And when we work with executives and when we to choose the right solution or to change a solution, often, at, at, well, on, part of our methodology at Third Stage APAC is to... Uh, First is to understand what the executives team wants out of out of their out of out of out of the business, what they want to do basically, whether it's with technology or without technology, what they want to do uh, in the future. So what are their requirements? What they want to control, what do they want to manage? And then we build what we call functional architecture. And the functional architecture are basically based on their requirements, what are the what are the 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 modules and and high level functionalities that the, the the new technology should have, right? So you have that function that so f- the functional architecture is how you articulate uh, business requirements and, and technology. It's, it's that it's that is that middle ground, it's that, is that binding point. Okay. And then from there, once once everyone agrees on this is the functional architecture that we need, so that becomes your uh, your shopping list. Basically, right? It's, it's it's your shopping list. I need I need my butter. I need I need my milk. I need my cereal. But then you go to the sh- then when you start looking at what's what's available in the market, then you look at the different brands. So you have different you can choose from different brands to meet uh, the, the the items of your shopping list, and um, and then you start evaluating which brand or which system system brand is meet best meets that functional architecture or that area of that functional architecture that module and, and so forth. So and then that's where you can create alignment uh, across the organization because first the organization sees okay we're working on the same song sheet which is the functional architecture then we can start evaluating which solution is best meets that functional architecture.
0: Right so it's sort of getting that the buy or the uh the input and involvement from the team in in creating that future state or that that functional architecture of what the future is going to look like and that that's one way to overcome you know to overcome that resistance and also to make sure that you choose the right system that you know best fits the organization and what the needs are
2: yeah And, and the functional architecture i i think that's a an extremely important exercise before actually even meeting or talking to salespeople for for any solution because uh that sets again like i'm saying that sets your shopping list and you're making sure that you're not buying too much right or not enough but usually oftentimes <laughs> companies buy too much and when it's time to implement oh we're we we were not ready for it we didn't uh or we didn't or the question why did we why did we buy this uh, in the first right. place and 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 that that falls on the wayside and and it's not being and it's not being used
0: yeah using taking your analogy one step further your shopping list analogy if you create your shopping list while you're starving you haven't eaten all day you create your shopping list it's, you're probably going to overpurchase you're you're, uh, you're going to buy more than you need because you're just hungry and it turns out you maybe you can't eat all that stuff that you buy and it's yeah. the same sort of thing with technology
2: too so, so create a shopping list that satisfies your, your needs first, right? Not just pile on what, what would you like to have. Right. Yeah, exactly. What about
0: um, when, when defining a digital strategy? Here's a question from Kyler as it relates to digital strategy. But what are your thoughts on customization in your digital strategy? Can you over-customize? Um, and I'm not sure if she means the, the strategy, customizing the strategy itself or customizing technology within that strategy. So I'm not 100% clear on, on which angle, but what what is sort of your uh, knee-jerk reaction to that or what are your thoughts?
2: Um, well, if it's customizing digital strategy, of course, the digital strategy has to be developed as per the, the organizational Needs and, and and what the executives require, uh, in terms of uh, customizing uh, technology, uh, usually uh, you have your data structure, and then you have you have to customize it. You have to build a, a source or. or yeah, certain script to add on, on more information so, so that can and uh, be well, uh, uh, ideally in order to avoid That's the plan. Is again to have that full the data, data structure. It's just it's a bit uh, just a table with, with Limit many fields you you you, uh, you want. At the end of the day, it can be as big as you want to meet to meet the needs of uh, of, of the business. So if you set that up properly and you've and you you have that robust data structure from the get go, your, your your level of customization will, will will diminish. So that's where and and, and that's where you you uh, uh, you leverage the the configuration of of of, of the solution right
0: right now here's a there, there's actually a, f- a few questions we're getting here that are more i'd say career related uh questions but so i'll pick one here that i think is a maybe a good um broad overview here but this is from Aditola on linkedin and Aditola asked the question how does one begin a career in digital transformation what, what are your thoughts or what advice would you give to someone who is just getting started in digital transformation or would like to be a consultant um how what advice would you offer? Uh,
2: my advice is to have actual operational experience in an organization, not necessarily get. Well, that that's a track that I that I took, and that helped me. Uh, it, before going into a consultancy, it's it's good that you uh, have experience in actually using a, a digital a digital solution or or business management solution. Uh, whether whether you're you're in, in sales working or in marketing working on the CRM so learn that CRM in the ins and out and see what's what's available and improve uh, how how your organization is 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 using that system and leveraging it to to the maximum and and improving the processes improving the, the, the data structure that sits under that in, in your own on your organization so that's one. That's that's the first. That's one, one avenue. Okay. So become a specialist in the system that, uh, in the system that your company is currently uh, that's currently using. Number two is if you're in your company, there is a an opportunity to be to be part of a project team to implement a new solution. Jump on that right away. You know. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, apply for that for that role. Okay, because uh, because you're going to get practical experience in in implementing a a solution. And and so if you have one or both of those experiences, then I feel you have a a strong track record to get into consultancy because then you become a credible uh, uh, consultant in front of potential clients because you've gone through the trenches in using solutions and improving them or or even uh, implementing solutions
0: right yeah that's that's great advice we're here with dean sam from third stage consulting's asia pacific office talking about lessons from complex digital transformations we've got a lot more to cover we'll be right back we're going to take a quick break
1: interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kylo Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here in the midst of a conversation with Dean Sam from the Third Stage Consulting Asia Pacific Office, talking about some lessons from complex digital transformations. Let's jump back into the conversation. What are some of the biggest, uh, maybe just at a high level? We could spend we could have spent the whole hour talking about this one question. So we'll try to maybe summarize what what we might have covered in, in more detail. But how would you summarize some of the biggest challenges that our clients struggle with when they're going through digital transformations? Whether they're big, complex organizations, or a smaller or size, less complex, what are some of those you know major pitfalls or or challenges that you see clients struggle with?
2: Um, I would say, um, I guess, prior to implementation of a, of a solution, there's this readiness phase that we suggest that the companies uh, go through before bringing, you know, consults, consultants from the system integrator and and they start, you know, mapping out your business and 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 seeing and, and, and implementing the solution based on that mapping because oftentimes that mapping is often based on the as is of, of the solution because you don't consultants who who are implementing solutions they don't have time and 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 I and I understand them because their job is to implement solution at, at customer sites is to is to develop a new a new structure a new way of thinking or a new way of operating for the uh, for the uh, for the client, and oftentimes it's taking what you have in current data sets, what you have in current processes, and and make that happen in, in that new technology. Uh, so, a a, a thorough uh, readiness stage for change management and for uh, to be process design and to be data structure, I believe is 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 critical. Uh, because uh, we were talking about planning uh, earlier, right? We want to improve, uh, we want to have better planning across the organization from long-term to short-term. Yes, the system will help you plan, but you need to have good planners in the company, right? Uh, and often, th- and what we see, maybe the planners are not, at, at that moment, when the, the planners in, in organizations that we work, maybe they're not up to the mark. So you need to upgrade their skill set, mm. right? Um, or you need to find more experienced planners too, so uh, because they understand the role of information and having information coming in, so and and then lay out what type of information they need to be shown on their interface, so they can make uh, you know the best informed decisions. So so it's developing that digital and also that planning mindset uh, before, um, yeah, before going into, into implementation. So that readiness phase is, 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 critical.
0: Right. Yeah. That makes, makes total sense. And maybe, you know, you may have a, a similar answer for, for my, my last question I have for you here today, Dean. Um, it is somewhat related to what I just asked you, but I'll ask it maybe a, a little bit different to see, you know, if it gives, stimulates any other thoughts, but, what closing advice would you leave with someone, an organization or a team that's about to begin their digital transformation journey? You know, what are some of those, those tips that you would say, you know, do these two or three things to get started?
2: Um, two to three things to get started. Mm. Well, you need to have, well, first of all, your executive team needs to, needs to be on board right if if they're on if they're in the bleachers and 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 uh and just looking at the the match in front of them and not being involved then you've got a problem right but if if the executive team is taking ownership they're taking leadership they're you know they 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 want to get involved they want to know what's happening that's already a a first sign so that that executive buy-in but also active participation is 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 very important, um, and number two is make sure you have your business analysts uh, in place. Uh, and how you structure your business analysts, usually you have, you know, you can you can break down the organization in in key uh, functional departments or functional processes, whether it's it's finance and costing, uh, manufacturing, uh, supply chain, demand planning. So you have. You have business analysts that are covering those those key elements of the organizations, and and, and they're building the, the 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 processes and the data structure for those uh you know for uh, for those parts of the business. And then when it's time to come to do the planning, because that's where you know demand planning needs to connect with material planning. So you've set up those processes in those in those separate areas, and then. Planning is really where it's, it's the meaning of the minds, right? It's the meaning of the information. So, so, so that's, that, that's the beauty of of, of 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 information design. So how do we put demand planning and material planning together? And then you, you, you develop your, your your planning structure. So you need to have those business analysts sitting. Uh, you need to have enough business analysts covering uh, the whole spectrum of, uh, of the organization. Yeah,
0: yeah. Makes total sense. Those are good, good ideas or good tidbits and tips to get to get started on, on a transformation.
2: Yeah, um, very simple. I, 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 in my view, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tennis player, right? <laughs> if, right? If you don't, if you don't train hard enough and you're not practicing enough, uh, you're not going to get ready for the match. You're not going to get ready. You're not, gonna, you're not going to be ready for the tournament and 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 it's 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 there's no silver bullet there's and and that and that magical racket is not going to make you win the match or 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 not uh, it's definitely not going to make you win the tournament so you got to work on 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 yourself you got to work on on, on on your and building your your skills your own skill set
0: yeah building your skill set and having a a plan a training plan and and you know yeah. Or what it is you're trying to accomplish and all that all that good stuff um so good well well i appreciate you all the the great advice and, and tips you've shared here uh today uh, dean and i think a lot of these uh, tips and talking points we've talked through here today are relevant for complex organizations larger organizations but also just any any organization that's going through change hopefully this has provided some some guidance and and uh things to think about as you're going through transformation. Um, so, uh, maybe just to close then, uh, in closing, just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you're, you're part of third stage consulting Asia Pacific. Um, so you work with a lot of our clients there in the Asia Pacific region. Um, you also work with Wayne Holtham, who Wayne's been on the show as well. And he's been in, you know, many of our, our videos, and uh, YouTube channel content and whatnot. Um, how can people connect with you and learn more about third stage consulting, uh, Asia Pacific or, uh, and I'll talk about how they can learn about third stage in general, but how can they learn more about you and about third stage APAC?
2: Well, if, uh, if any of you are thinking or planning a, a, a digital transformation, uh, initiative, uh, looking at other solutions, uh, we'd be happy to, uh, to have a chat and to hear what, uh, what you're going through, uh, and uh, you can contact me over email. I think that's the best way. It's uh, dean.sam at thirdstage-consulting.com. Uh, myself and, and my partner, Wayne, who is based out of uh, Australia, we'll be happy to, to, to speak to you and and, and and hear what you're going through. And, and you know, there's no, no commitment whatsoever. Uh, we'll be happy to ha- just have a, have a call and, and hopefully we can uh, you know, get to know your business and, 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 and we can maybe guide you in, 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 in the right direction, depending on where you are in your, on your journey. All right. Thank
0: you, Dean. Great conversation. Good to have you on the show. I really appreciate you being up super late at night, your time to uh, film this conversation. So thank you for that. Uh, we've got a lot more to cover some debrief or things we want to debrief from that conversation. Uh, But before we do that, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
1: download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129, where you can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And uh, Kyler, we just had this conversation with Dean talking about complex digital transformations and some of the lessons from those transformations. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation?
1: Well, Dean is one of the most interesting people on the third stage team, in my opinion. He has such a diverse background, which he kind of shared and it's, it's funny because I asked him one time to look over some of our thought leadership materials that we had translated in Mandarin. Um, since he knows the language, a lot of times we'll reach out to our global team and say, you know, does this translation make sense? Or is this valuable so that we can make sure that we're putting, you know, high quality content in the marketplace. But he actually told me, he's like, you know, I I speak Mandarin, but I wouldn't be great at editing it, but I can do it in French. And I was like, what? <laughs> so um, because you know he's Canadian his French is his first language so he just you know he has such a diversity to how he understands that and that really translates to his project management work and his PMO work because he is able to understand complex organizations across cultural lines which is you know such an asset to a business especially a larger more complex one that may have Manufacturing hubs in all different areas of the world, and is going through a larger multi-layer organizational change. Uh, so he just brings so much to the table in understanding that he's a unicorn of some sorts.
0: He really is, yeah. In terms of cultural understanding of different cultures and languages, and and also just different types of businesses too, different industries and whatnot. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of diversity in his background for sure.
1: Yeah. And I love how he always kind of goes back to the basics. Um, You know, when we touch on things like an emerging technologies and, you know, similar to how our conversation in um, our hot topic segment of uh, going back to what is your standardization data set looks like? What are those areas in which you have kind of that phase zero initiatives in which you need to set the foundation for a successful digital transformation? Um, you know, we have a lot of clients that come to us that kind of want to run before they walk type of approach and he's so good at kind of tailoring back like what is our checklist to make sure that all of these different strategic initiatives are in place so that we can leverage and maximize the value of of the technology which is why i think it's so funny always the kind of the agile conversation and how always that kind of triggers this huge conversation but i love his um thoughts on the build the bridge with an agile approach like that's terrifying to me. Like it invokes fear into my, (laughs) like you would never, he was, he's so right. You would never not have a blueprint, a standardized plan, you know, testing to build a bridge in which people drive or walk over. So I thought that was a really interesting analogy.
0: I love the tennis analogy too. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as the, you wouldn't focus primarily on what kind of racket you're using. You would focus on you know, conditioning and training and just getting better at your game. And yeah, you want a better racket, but that's not your main focus.
1: Yeah, not needed. The tools are, you know, more of an enhancement, but the behaviors um, and processes are really the foundation to making sure that that technology is leveraged. Um, I also thought it was really interesting that he talked about the business analyst piece of kind of the roles and responsibilities and the real kind of heartbeat of the IT team was that business analyst that was able to understand the data, but also the business objectives. And that's not a role we talk about a ton, but I do think it's so important. Um, in In my career, business analysts are like the bread and butter because they give you all of the data in a digestible manner so you can make smart strategic decisions. So I thought it was really cool that he highlighted that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it, it was interesting because usually when you ask that question a lot of times people start with the project manager or executive sponsor or whatever so it's interesting to hear uh, his emphasis on business analyst and i think it is uh, probably is one of those more underrated roles too that we don't talk a lot about or recognize how important that role is but it, to dean's point it, it certainly is
1: and it's a great entry level role going back to kind of the q and a at the beginning of this episode it's a great opportunity to kind of in any business understand how data is consumed and leveraged to make business decisions. Uh, So definitely, you know, a a great role that you could kind of jump into right out of school or training.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to dig in and really understand operations and business processes and technology as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, great conversation. And if you want more of Dean, you can go to our Third Stage YouTube channel um, for our Digital Stratosphere APAC playlist. He was a main keynote speaker for that, um, as as well as Wayne, who is his partner that we all mentioned in that conversation. So definitely highly recommend their content. It's very dense, very technical and has lots of really real world tactics, which they've utilized in their successful transformation projects.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good stuff. And, And great to have him on the show. We'll have to have him on again soon as well. So thanks. Thanks again to Dean for being here today. Well, we've got another segment to uh, shift gears to. We're gonna do a bit of a comparison here, a comparison discussion of Oracle ERP Cloud versus Microsoft D365. And be sure to stick around for this part of the podcast. Uh, Certainly, if you're evaluating either or both of those technologies, you'll wanna stick around. But even if you're not really interested in either Oracle or uh, Microsoft as part of your digital transformation, it's helpful to hear the ways that you can compare the strengths and weaknesses of different systems. Even if you're looking at other types of technologies or maybe you've already decided on the technology, it's a good framework to understand how to understand where the deficiencies and gaps are so that you can mitigate those risks. So be sure to stick around for that. So we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, uh, Kyler and I will dive into this uh, comparison of Oracle ERP cloud versus Microsoft D365. Be sure to stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
3: Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday. And uh, we wanted to play you this clip uh, of a video, YouTube video that Kyler and I uh, created uh, that's available on the Third Stage Consulting YouTube channel. But we wanted to play it for you here today because it's a comparison video that compares two leading systems in the marketplace. And those two systems are Oracle ERP Cloud and Microsoft D365. So reason we thought this would be helpful to play here today and discuss today um, is because partially because so much of our audience is interested in evaluating potential technologies, but also because even ones that aren't interested in evaluating these two particular technologies might be interested in hearing how you should be thinking about some of the pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses of different technologies that you might be deploying in your organization. So that would be a good conversation from that perspective as well. So with that all being said, let's jump in and roll the clip of Kyler and I unpacking a comparison of Oracle ERP Cloud versus Microsoft D365.
1: Microsoft Dynamics 365 and Oracle ERP Cloud are two titans in the marketplace when it comes to large, complex ERP systems. These options are important to evaluate the unique needs of the organization versus the pros and cons to ensure you're selecting the software that's the best match for your business needs. I'm Kyler Cheatham with Third Stage Consulting Group. We are a global, independent, and technology agnostic advisory firm that helps our clients achieve the third stage of digital transformation. Our support includes helping them choose the best software that meets the needs of their organization and will achieve their objectives as a business. In this video, we are going to compare Microsoft Dynamics 365 versus Oracle ERP Cloud. To kick this off, I wanna play you a clip of an independent and completely technology agnostic review of Microsoft Dynamics 365 that was crafted by our founder and CEO, Eric Kimberling.
0: So to fully understand what D365 is, it helps to look at the history of Microsoft Dynamics and Dynamics 365. So about 20 years ago, when Microsoft started really pushing into the business technology and enterprise software space, they went out and they acquired a few different companies, companies like Navision, Great Plains, Exapta. Those were all standalone ERP systems that were acquired and eventually rolled into the umbrella of Microsoft Dynamics. And for several years, Microsoft allowed these three systems to coexist under the Microsoft Dynamics umbrella, uh, under their original brand names of Great Plains, Exapta, Navision. And eventually they came out with their current flagship offering, which is Microsoft Dynamics 365. And essentially what they've done here is they've combined the best of those acquisitions and those legacy solutions to create a more common system that stands alone as Dynamics 365. It's also a solution that has been built in the cloud. And so it's meant for cloud deployments. It was one of the early adopters of cloud deployments. And Dynamics 365 has two different primary products or sub products, if you will. One is called Business Central. Dynamics 365 Business Central, and that is the solution for smaller and mid-market companies. It's the more vanilla solution for simpler organizations, those that aren't looking for a big heavy ERP implementation, and ones that are looking for a lower cost option. Business Central can be a good fit in those cases. In other cases, they also provide D365 Finance and Operations, which Finance and operations is sort of the bigger ERP solution that's meant to compete with SAP and Oracle and some of the other larger ERP vendors. So typically multinational companies and larger, more complex organizations will deploy the finance and operations version of Microsoft D365, while the smaller counterparts will typically implement Business Central. I recently published a video that provides a more in-depth review of Dynamics 365. What I'd like to do here today is summarize some of the strengths and weaknesses of the product. Starting with the strengths, one of the biggest strengths of the product is that it's flexible. When you compare it to other systems in the marketplace, it's generally going to be more flexible. It's something that can be configured in a number of different ways, and it can also be customized in a number of different ways as well, which could be a good or a bad thing. So that sort of flexibility is one of the big advantages of D365, as is its open architecture. The Dynamics platform was originally built on the .NET platform, which is a very open architecture that's meant to integrate third party systems. And it's a way to tie together multiple systems into the platform. So if you're a company that has multiple legacy systems and you're looking for flexibility and integration to other systems, D365 can be a great fit. A couple of the disadvantages of the product, however, are that, first of all, the flexibility itself can be both a strength and a weakness. And What I mean by that is the flexibility of the product can also become overwhelming to organizations and project teams. It can be very difficult to decide how you want to configure the software because you have so many options, and many organizations and project teams get tangled up in all the options that they have in deploying the solution. The same goes for the ease of customization and the ability to customize. The fact that you can customize the solution and you can be flexible in the way you deploy it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And so what we find with D365 implementations oftentimes is that the flexibility ends up becoming a cover or a cover up for all the change management issues that your organization may have in in its ability to change. And the final weakness of the product is that it is a product that isn't as robust as some may need in certain industries or in certain Uh, diverse operations. So, for example, if you're an organization that has very complex manufacturing needs, there's probably better products out there that can handle some of your manufacturing needs. Same for warehouse management. If you're a high-volume, complex distribution company, it may be tested or stressed by the needs that you have as an organization. So, when evaluating D365, you really want to make sure you pressure test some of those outlying capabilities in the outlying business processes, especially as it relates to your secret sauce or your competitive advantage related business processes. When evaluating Microsoft Dynamics 365, it's helpful to understand the ecosystem of Microsoft. And What I mean by ecosystem is the supporting organizations and the supporting environment that allows you to use third parties to deploy the software. Microsoft generally doesn't sell their software directly to consumers or end organizations. What they generally do is rely on third-party VARs or value-added resellers. These are organizations that are third-party partners of Microsoft, and their intent and focus is to implement Microsoft D365. Now, this is a good thing because it gives organizations a lot of different options, a lot of different resources in the marketplace that can help you deploy the product. The downside is that there's so many different options in the marketplace that there's a lot of variation in the capabilities of the different VARs and resellers that are out there. So you really want to vet those resellers carefully and make sure that you're navigating the sort of fragmented ecosystem carefully. Now, the other dimension that is both a strength and a weakness of the Microsoft ecosystem is they have what's called ISVs or independent software vendors. And these again are third party organizations that not only implement Microsoft D365, but in most cases they've also built some sort of unique capability on top of D365. So you might have an industry specific solution that takes the D365 platform and tailors it for a specific industry and that IP or that intellectual property is only offered by that one ISV. So again, it's a pro it's and a con because in one hand, it allows you to find a very specific version of Dynamics 365, but on the flip side, it's also exposing you to a third party that may or may not be a good fit for your organization. And it creates just a, yet another option that you have to choose from. The other thing that this calls into question is that with ISVs, they're the only ones that can support that version of the software. So you've somewhat limited your options in terms of who can support that specific version of Dynamics 365. So in general, if you're looking for something that's both has the capability of a broad, big ERP system, but is also tailored for your industry or your specific needs, then Microsoft D365 can be a great fit for you. Okay, we're here doing a comparison of Oracle ERP Cloud and Microsoft D365 and just to note uh, third stage consulting is not affiliated with either vendor or any vendor for that matter so that's an important uh, note as we continue through the conversation here Uh, but we've got a lot more to cover we're going to take a quick break we'll be back with more of this comparison and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control
1: When I wake up Well I know I'm going to be I'm going to be the man who wakes
2: up next to you When I go out
0: Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the guide to organizational change management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode.
3: Hello,
0: welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 129. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms and we are here playing you a video of a comparison between Oracle ERP Cloud and Microsoft D365. Let's jump back into the conversation. Now, the Dynamics 365 product rates fairly high in terms of its general functionality and capabilities. It can provide a very broad set of capabilities and business processes and workflows to help automate your business, but implementing the solution is a different story. Sometimes implementing can be very difficult. It can be challenging. I've mentioned the fact that the flexibility of the product can actually create problems during implementation if you don't have strong project governance and you don't have a strong vision of what you want of the product. So that's one thing to watch for is the flexibility of the product is mostly a strength, but it can create risks and challenges during implementation. The other challenge of Microsoft Dynamics 365 implementations is that, as I mentioned before, the flexibility of the product can actually mask some of the change management issues that you may be facing within your organization. So in other words, just because you can change the software to do what you want it to do or the way you might operate today doesn't mean that you should. So what ends up happening oftentimes is we see clients that, who are resisting change, who want to keep doing things the way they always have but use a new software to do it, and they end up changing the software just to automate the way they've always done things. So that's a dynamic you really want to watch for, and Dynamics 365 implementations tend to require even more change management support than other ERP systems. And finally another challenge with d365 implementations is that because of the flexibility and the architecture the open integration all the advantages on the technical side it ends up creating a myopic focus on the technology you end up focusing resources on the technology pieces of the transformation rather than the more important operational and organizational pieces so that's a pitfall you want to watch for is don't let the flexibility and the complexity of the product suck you into a focus strictly on the technology because ultimately it's the people and process side of the equation that will ultimately make you successful. So these are a few of the things to think about as you consider a Dynamics 365 implementation. Now to be successful in your Microsoft Dynamics 365 transformation, I encourage you to download our Definitive Guide to a Successful Dynamics 365 Implementation. This guide lays out some of the best practices and lessons learned from our experience helping clients implement Dynamics 365. But in summary or in general, some of the things that you want to think about are, first of all, make sure that D365 is the right fit for you. Make sure you've evaluated it against other options in the marketplace. Once you've chosen the software, if you do decide that D365 is the right fit for you, Make sure that you have a solid implementation strategy and plan that addresses some of the risks and pitfalls that we've talked about here today. And probably more than anything, make sure that you have solid change management. You have a very clear change management strategy that's meant to address some of the challenges we've talked about here today.
1: So let's recap some of the key pros and cons of Microsoft Dynamics 365. This product fills a really unique spot in the marketplace for ERP software because it is broad and scalable enough for some of the world's largest organizations, but at the same time, it's incredibly flexible to meet higher to mid-size organizations. The reason it's easy for us to go through these software evaluations is because we have absolutely no affiliation or financial ties with Microsoft. They even often get mad at us when we talk about things that are happening within their marketplace, like the sunsetting of their Great Plains software. As an overview of Microsoft Dynamics 365, it's really comprised of those two primary versions, which is Operations and Business Central. Now f is generally the product that's used by more complex global organizations, while Business Central is often used by smaller to mid-sized organizations. They have both of these systems kind of intertwined because of acquisitions Microsoft has made over the years. Now, Arguably, the biggest strength of D365 is the traditional Microsoft look and feel, which is familiar to a lot of organizations, and user adoption can often be more successful. In that same lane, user experience in some ways is more intuitive among employees that are using Microsoft Office 365, SharePoint, Teams, and other Microsoft productivity tools. That integration is very smooth when it comes to the core ERP with those different applications. It's also known for its flexibility and ease of integration across many other systems. A piece of feedback we get from a lot of our clients utilizing or considering D365 is its ability to really create that interoperability across the organization with data integrations and full visibility into different workflows. Its open architecture makes it really easy to integrate with different third-party systems that might be specific to your industry or bolt-on applications. Now this does have a dark side. Just because D365 is very flexible doesn't always mean that flexibility is a good thing. It's very easy to snowball and overcomplicate this system because of all of its opportunities and functionalities doesn't mean that you you need to utilize all of those for your organization. Another consideration with a very flexible system is it can be difficult to really strategize on implementation and lead to overall failure. An implementation or ERP failure of this size can be incredibly expensive and disrupted to the business. Another consideration is just the overall maturity of D365 and its functionality. The system does suffer from lack of maturity just due to recent introduction into the marketplace. Some of the more advanced functionality that exists in Microsoft Dynamics or customers might be used to the on-premise solution has not been integrated into the SaaS or Cloud Blaze platform. Now, one of the biggest drawbacks and a super important consideration when looking at Microsoft D365 is the reseller network. The reseller partner network is arguably the biggest weakness of this system because Microsoft takes a really laissez-faire approach to managing its partner network when compared to other vendors and that leads to really subpar implementation partners. Now, An implementation partner is incredibly important on the technical side of achieving a successful digital transformation. Without really a a niche expertise into this weakness or an independent consultant advisor coach like Third Stage, it is really hard to get a quality implementation partner with D365 knowledge. So in summary, is D365 a good fit for your organization? Well, as always, that depends on your business priorities and goals. But if you are looking for something that is incredibly flexible, that is well-known in the marketplace, and relatively easy to use, D365 could be a great option for your organization. However, if you're in search of something that is more mature in functionality, or has a lot of tight processes, standardization, There are other products such as SAP S4 HANA, for example, that might be a better fit for what your needs are as an organization. If you are considering D365 as your ERP software, I highly recommend you download our Microsoft Dynamics 365 Handbook, which I have linked down here in our notes wherever you are getting this video today. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe to our channel for more information on what software might be right for you and continue watching here because we are going to go into a comparison of Oracle ERP Cloud. So now that we've really dove into the pros and cons of D365, let's transition to the comparison between D365 and Oracle ERP Cloud. So just like before, I'll play Eric Kimberling, our CEO and founders, review of Oracle ERP Cloud, and we will summarize the comparison between the two.
0: Oracle has been working long and hard at their whole ERP application offering. Back in the early 2000s, Oracle acquired JD Edwards and PeopleSoft, Hyperion, and a number of other ERP-related systems. And also in the early 2000s, Oracle developed Fusion, which was a middleware intended to pull together all of these different applications they had acquired. And now with the migration to the cloud and with the evolution of Oracle Fusion, Oracle has completed its transition to the cloud, or at least it's in the process of completing its transition to the cloud. And so Oracle ERP Cloud really is a culmination of all of those efforts over the years. Now, Oracle is commonly compared to SAP. It's one of the most common options for the larger organizations and the more global and multinational types of organizations. But there's some distinct differences between SAP and Oracle. And I'm going to talk about Oracle in general, in particular, how it relates to SAP as well as other ERP systems in the marketplace. So one of the biggest strengths of Oracle ERP Cloud, particularly if you're comparing Oracle to SAP, is its flexibility. In general, it's a product that because it's been built via a best of breed acquisition model of acquiring all these different systems that I mentioned earlier, It's really taken the best of these different applications that it's developed, and it's created a very flexible offering. Not only is the software itself flexible in terms of the general capabilities it can provide to different types of organizations, but the whole Fusion middleware provides a certain amount of flexibility and gives you a lot of different options in terms of what types of systems you might bolt on to Oracle-based systems, even if those systems aren't Oracle-based. So in general, the functionality of the product itself, as well as the architecture with Oracle Fusion as the middleware, provides a lot of flexibility and options that other ERP providers generally aren't able to provide. So flexibility is something that's important to you. If you're a nimble organization, you're growing quickly, you're multinational, you have diverse needs across your organization, Oracle can be a very good fit for you. Another strength of Oracle ERP Cloud is its breadth of capabilities. There's certain capabilities that the product is very strong at. So in addition to providing general broad capabilities that span financials and supply chain, manufacturing, warehouse management, performance management, human capital management, CRM, all the stuff that you might expect from an ERP system, there's a few different areas where Oracle ERP tends to be stronger than some of its competitors. One example is a function called CPQ. That's an acronym for configure price quote. So if you're an engineer-to-order type of manufacturing organization or a make-to-order manufacturing organization, or perhaps you're a construction organization where you rely on different estimates and bids in order to sell your product, the CPQ capability is something that's very strong with Oracle. And what that does is it allows your sales team to not only sell your product or service, but it allows you to configure and quote a customizable or tailored offering to your customers. So if you're the type of organization that has that type of product where you would benefit from that, the CPQ capability can be very strong. Now, another area that Oracle is very strong is in its human capital management and talent management. So if you're an organization that might be looking at Workday or SuccessFactors, but you're also looking at potential ERP solutions, Oracle can be a great fit and a great alternative to SuccessFactors or Workday, simply because the capability is very strong, but it also integrates very nicely with the core Oracle ERP functionality. And then a third area that Oracle is very strong in functionality-wise is its general performance management, business intelligence, and reporting types of capabilities. So Oracle, several years ago, bought Hyperion, which is sort of a best-in-class financial reporting and consolidation type of tool. That's one example of capabilities that Oracle has built into its offering. In addition to that, it tends to be very strong, not just in terms of financial reporting, but also just general dashboards and general business intelligence and enterprise performance management. So if getting real clear visibility into your organization, quantitative visibility is very important, that's another strength of Oracle as well. Okay, we're here doing a comparison of Oracle ERP Cloud and Microsoft D365. And just to note, uh, Third Stage Consulting is not affiliated with either vendor or any vendor for that matter. So that's an important uh, note as we continue through the conversation here. Uh, But we've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of this comparison and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control.
1: Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control episode number 129. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kylo Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms. And we are here playing you a video of a comparison between Oracle ERP Cloud and Microsoft D365. Let's jump back into the conversation. So while on one hand, Oracle ERP Cloud has some broad capabilities, there are some areas where Oracle ERP Cloud is not yet mature, or at least not yet mature compared to its legacy on-premise counterparts. So one example is manufacturing. That's an area that Oracle ERP Cloud is not quite as far along as say JD Edwards, the on-premise JD Edwards manufacturing solution that has been around for decades now and had the benefit of plenty of R&D dollars over the years. Oracle is taking the best of JD Edwards and other manufacturing capabilities and moving those capabilities to Oracle ERP Cloud, but that's still very much a work in progress. So if you're a complex manufacturer that's an area that I'd highly recommend you really dive into and understand what the strengths and some of the limitations are of Oracle ERP Cloud in that regard. And then another example is more complex supply chains, companies that have global supply chains, complex supply chains, that's an area where there's still some limitations of the new cloud solution. So if that's an area that's important to you, I'd highly recommend diving into that area as well. So in general, it's important to recognize that Oracle ERP Cloud, while it has a breadth of capabilities, is not quite as strong in several areas, including the two I've mentioned here, as it relates to some of its legacy products like JD Edwards and Siebel and PeopleSoft, for example. I mentioned before how flexibility is one of the strengths of Oracle ERP Cloud. And along those same lines is its ability to integrate with third-party systems. And because of that fusion middleware that Oracle spent so many years developing, in fact, it was often ridiculed for many years because it took so long for Oracle to develop that solution, it's really given them a leg up compared to some of its competitors now because it had invested so heavily in that product for so long. So it's allowed Oracle to do two things. One is it's allowed Oracle to take these applications that it's acquired over the years, like JD Edwards, Siebel, PeopleSoft, et cetera, and integrate them into a cloud-based offering that, that ties together as as a, more cohesive unit. Secondly, it allows better integration with third-party applications. So if there's some sort of system that you need either for regulatory purposes or just because you want a best-of-breed capability that isn't offered by Oracle, that fusion middleware can make it easier to bolt in systems that complement Oracle ERP Cloud. So if integration is something that's going to be important to you, if you know you're going to have legacy systems or third-party systems that are non-Oracle based, Oracle ERP Cloud can be a great toolset to help you do that. So I've talked a lot about the different moving pieces and moving parts of Oracle. And while that's generally a strength in that there's a lot of capabilities, a lot of flexibility, a lot of integration that can happen with the solution. It also creates a certain amount of technical complexity that can be overwhelming for some organizations to handle. So for example, if you're an organization that doesn't have a very sophisticated or robust IT capability in-house, or you don't have solution architects in-house that can help manage some of these moving pieces and integration points, then Oracle may not be the best fit for you. But if you have a robust IT staff, you have solution architects that can figure this stuff out, it may be a good fit for you. But either way, I'd highly recommend that you watch out for the common pitfall with Oracle implementations, which is... Oftentimes organizations get so caught up in just trying to manage all these moving parts and trying to make the technology work and fit together that they forget about the more important parts of the transformation, the things related to people and processes. So the non-technical aspects of the transformation. So even if you do have the capabilities to support the complexity of Oracle, the other risk there that you still want to mitigate if you do move forward with Oracle is to ensure that you have proper focus on those people and process areas. So just as is the case with every review I do, there are some pros and cons with Oracle, and hopefully I've helped you identify what those strengths and weaknesses are here. Whether or not it's the right fit for you as an organization, it really depends on your priorities, your needs, and what your objectives are. If you're a high growth, flexible, nimble, entrepreneurial type of organization that values scale and flexibility and integration, it can be a great fit. If you're a company that values consistency and standardization and common business processes and simplicity from a technology perspective, Oracle may not be the best fit. So it's really a matter of weighing those strengths and weaknesses and those pros and cons and figuring out what the right priority is for your organization.
1: So Oracle ERP Cloud is really one of the most common known ERP systems in the marketplace. And it really has helped a variety of businesses achieve a very successful digital transformation. That said, let's unpack some of the points that Eric made. So really, Oracle ERP Cloud right now is number two in the marketplace regarding market share, and that's right behind SAP S4 HANA. It's commonly used by Fortune 500 companies to Fortune 200 companies, so for larger global complex companies. So just like D365, Oracle ERP Cloud Platform is relatively a new entrant to the ERP space. Oracle itself has a legacy company, but the flagship product in Oracle ERP Cloud is newer to the marketplace. So, Oracle itself as an entity has been around for a long time and is really well-established in the industry, however, some organizations still really don't have an understanding of what exactly Oracle ERP Cloud is in relation to their other legacy systems. The product itself is newer to the marketplace. It's a lot like SAP S4 HANA and Microsoft Dynamics 365. It just had a head start over a decade ago in R&D. What they called Oracle Fusion was the actual system. They spent a lot of time and money trying to develop Fusion as a solution. And at the time, in the industry, they really took a lot of criticism for never really releasing Oracle Fusion. They were having a lot of trouble in technical development, but that said, now Oracle ERP Cloud gets those 10 years head start on SAP and Microsoft in R&D budget. It's also a, a cool consideration that Oracle started off as a database company. And that's worth noting because Oracle's databases are a key foundational piece of both Oracle Fusion and Oracle ERP Cloud. Another confusing piece in the marketplace is Oracle ERP Cloud is not the same as Oracle NetSuite. NetSuite is a product that Oracle actually acquired several years ago, and NetSuite really owns that small to mid-market companies. We recommend NetSuite a lot, but it's not always a great comparison with D365 because a company looking at D365 likely has the size of what you would need for Oracle ERP Cloud. It's much like D365 in the fact that it is a multi-tenant cloud solution, so that means that that subscription-based or SaaS-based solution could be flexible, but a little less flexible than D365. So, that distinction is important that Oracle Fusion, Oracle ERP Cloud, and Oracle NetSuite are all different solutions that need their own evaluation within an organization. Some other key considerations when you're looking at Oracle ERP Cloud is that cloud maturity. It really needs to be a key consideration when looking at enterprise technology. And really, that just alludes to the fact that Oracle ERP Cloud has not been around that long as, say, e-business suite, or other Oracle's legacy products. Another example of this is something like JD Edwards that had an on-premise solution that's been in the marketplace for a long time. And now Oracle, like many other companies in the software marketplace, is undergoing a massive transition to the cloud. Which again, we talked about, they have a little bit of a head start, a foot in the door with the whole cloud migration because of Oracle Fusion though it's still not a mature solution when compared to eBusiness Suite or JD Edwards or even NetSuite that has been in the cloud longer than Oracle ERP Cloud. The reason that this is so important when you're implementing Oracle ERP Cloud within your organization is that you recognize any of these weaknesses or lack of functionalities. We have a lot of clients, like Eric mentioned, that have very complex requirements and we've ultimately found out through our extensive evaluation process that Oracle ERP Cloud Systems was too much of a stretch for the functionality that they needed. These capabilities simply have not transitioned to the cloud yet. That doesn't mean Oracle doesn't plan to do that someday. It's just not something that every functionality that you would get with their on-premise legacy systems will now be in market for you to utilize. The reason we are so passionate about talking about this is we see a lot of organizations that get stuck with the limitations of the cloud maturity of this product. And the bummer part about that, maybe I shouldn't say that, and the negative in that is that many times software vendors, because it's their job to sell you software, won't be completely transparent about the lack of limitations, which is why we are often in the room when these negotiations or selections are happening. So we can ensure that our clients are achieving maximum business value with the requirements that they need from a software system. A common theme of Oracle ERP Cloud and D365 is the products are very flexible. They can create tools and have the ability to tailor or customize the software to best meet the needs and processes of your business. As we talked about earlier in this video, there is drawbacks to over flexibility. Just because you can change something doesn't necessarily mean you should. What's going to happen here if you're looking at these two systems side by side is you have a clear future state operating model and business process maps to ensure you're choosing the right level of flexibility for your business. Historically, Oracle has been extremely strong in data analytics, financials, all things that that look at enterprise performance management. And that stems from its history as a database company. If you are an organization that is very data heavy and likes to have extensive analytics within your core systems, Oracle ERP Cloud could be a very healthy solution for you. Another key consideration when you have such a strong database foundation is you have the ability to take those automations, AI, machine learning, more emerging technologies to the next level. It has the foundation to enable artificial intelligence and machine learning because of that data-oriented enterprise performance management background. This can go across your organization when we're looking at EPM or CRM for your sales team, supply chain management, all of those different data-heavy departments that really need that ability to use the system and dig into analytics. That said, if that emerging technology in AI automation, smart manufacturing, is important to your organization and is a core need for your system upgrade, Oracle ERP Cloud is a great option. Another consideration when it comes to looking at Oracle ERP Cloud is just the complexity and cost. Because it is so data heavy in its system, it has that ability to become very overwhelming. This complexity leads to increased time and cost during implementation and just overall is more challenging. You need to consider what needs to be customized or configured to set up the system to work to showcase those end-to-end processes. The downside of this is just overkill, right? Or too much complexity for smaller organizations. But if you are that larger organization or you aspire to be in such a high growth area, it's going to provide all of those capabilities, a, a robust list of capabilities that you might be looking for. The last thing to consider is Oracle ERP Cloud is expensive. It is one of the top ERP systems in the industry, and when it comes to looking at cost versus functionality, it certainly has robust capabilities and is worth the cost that it charges. But if budget is a key consideration, looking at something like D365 side-by-side would be a good option for you. And the one consideration I'll add for both of these systems is that implementations are incredibly complex Because likely these larger organizations are more likely to fail just because there's more opportunity for breakage or pain points. That's not necessarily something that points to the software directly but it's a consideration when you are a larger very sophisticated complex organization you want to ensure that you have appropriate implementation phase zero planning and a very strong project management core team to ensure your implementation is on track. I hope that overview helps you compare these two very sophisticated ERP systems for your business. If you do have any questions about software selection or maybe a functionality that your industry needs specifically, feel free to reach out to me directly at kyler.cheatham at thirdstage Group com. My contact information is also in the description for this video. Thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next time.
0: All right, good stuff. Hopefully that will help provide some good comparison points for any of you that might be considering those two technologies. And hopefully if you're not considering either of those two technologies, it gives you some things to think about as you assess the strengths and weaknesses of potential technologies you might be deploying to your organizations. So I want to thank you, Kyler, for helping me through that discussion in, in that comparison video. I also want to thank the audience for the great questions here today and appreciate you all being here. Uh, You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, so be sure to check out our next episode next week. But in the meantime, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Transformation Ground Control. and We'll see you next time. Take care.